today, uh, most of us here in the community spent the afternoon over at the Fry Ranch, the Fry Vineyards, just uh, down the street a couple of miles, attending the memorial service for Daniel Fry, who passed away a little more than a month ago. Very good friend of the monastery, close supporter. Came here a couple of times a week, often. And uh, died at the young age of, I think, right around 40. The, this was sort of the culmination of a number of different remembrances of him, gatherings, uh, when he first passed away and uh, they kept the body for a few days at the house. There was large numbers of people coming and going and then for the cremation uh, a few weeks after that, uh, a fairly good-sized gathering and then uh, the official memorial service today in the Redwood Grove uh, on their property. So it was a very beautiful setting, beautiful weather. Many, many people there gathered uh, in the Redwoods to, to remember Daniel and offer their reflections and many songs. He was a musician, so had a lot of people uh, musically uh, adept, musically inclined, uh, who uh, shared their memories of him in words and in song. Sometimes I, I go to these kinds of events, you know, uh, out of a sense of um, duty. Um, but this was very different. It was a, a very much, you know, he was so close a part of our community that it was uh, just really a remembrance and celebration of his life. And I found it, uh, I found it very, uh, a great way to spend a few hours in the afternoon to uh, just remember him. And contemplate uh, the suddenness of of his passing, uh, unexpectedness, and and um, using it as a as a tool for personal reflection. We've done a lot of that the past month, uh, and um, I'm always hesitant to oversaturate uh, <laughs> oversaturate our. Uh, reflections around the theme of, of death. Is I don't want people to think that we're just, you know, kind of focusing on what some people feel is sort of a negative uh, perception. But as we all know, the Buddha really uh, stressed contemplation of death, marana sati, as uh, very, very important uh, reflection uh, to keep fresh daily, actually. Uh, uh, to help keep us uh, focused on what's important and to live our lives uh, in a way that we're essentially preparing ourselves for this. The uh, Ajahn Chah in Ajahn Chah monasteries, but when, when people would come to Ajahn Chah, monas um, an Ajahn Chah monastery, <clears throat> Oftentimes, at least as the story goes, he would um, 
say to, to them, have you come here to die? And then another uh, phrase of contemplation he would offer is, is die before you die. <clears throat> so, you know, we have the, the physical body contemplation of death. Um, but then Ajahn Chah's pointing, I think more in my mind anyway, he's pointing more towards uh, when, when he says, have you come here to die? Not, not of not a physical body per se, but <clears throat> the death trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> trying to die from all that we cling to, that we hold to, uh, trying to allow our sense of self, our sense of clinging to die before we actually physically die, die before you die. <clears throat> Is that what we've come to the monastery for? To let go of what it is that we hold to so strongly um, that uh, we, don't want to, uh, we don't want to stop clinging sometimes. So to really examine that uh, and see what it is, contemplate what it is that we, we hold on to, that we cling to. As we know, you know, clinging is the craving and clinging are the basic causes for suffering, for dukkha. And release from that craving, as the, the chant goes in the Dhammachaka Sutta, the release from that very craving, clinging, um, is uh, our freedom. Uh, the experience in the end of dukkha when we experience the end of craving and clinging. So to use moments of physical death, the death of this physical body, uh, as a way to help steer us uh, towards really examining what it is that we're clinging on to. What do we have still that we want to and need to let go of before we actually take our last breath in this physical body. <clears throat> when I was um, many, many years ago, uh, as a layman before I took ordination, I was taking a, a f I was volunteering for a certain hospice-type organization as a volunteer, and uh, we went through a training uh, where there was a guided death meditation. And it was very long and involved, a very powerful uh, one. And kind of the culmination was, uh, as you were nearing your last breath, uh, what is it that uh, is the most difficult, most painful? In a sense, what is it that, what are you holding to, uh, holding on to most closely? And, um, you know, of course, different people have different things that they cling to and hold to and uh, occupy, uh, occupy them, occupy their minds, occupy their hearts. Uh, at that time, anyway, uh, the prominent one for me was uh, clinging to family and friends, the hard part being saying goodbye, uh, separation, separation from the loved, uh, essentially. So that was a very powerful insight at that time. You know, and uh, helped me kind of uh, steer in the right direction towards what it is that I, how I need to 
lessen my attachments in those areas. And of course, you know, there are other attachments that come when you work on letting go of one. It's not, uh, doesn't all happen at once. Other ones spring up too, as did for me. But um, uh, it's, it's so useful to, to really take that to heart and to look at it, look, look at what it is uh, that we cherish so dearly. Um, and what is the basis, the fruit for our constant rebirth into this world, rebirth into you know, this moment, uh, into this existence, how we experience the force of becoming, the becoming process. And how that holds us. Uh, in the realm of samsara, uh, the realm of, of uh, dukkha. And what do we want to let go of at the time of our death, by the time of our death? The death of the physical body. You know, there's all sorts of things that... Uh, people can cling to, maybe people who, who haven't took a practice dhamma or taken a, a very strong spiritual uh, training or uh, attitude in life, uh, maybe may find that their clinging is more along the lines of the material realm, possessions, uh, sensuality, uh, kind of the areas where there's gratification, but uh, pretty short term nothing that's very lasting. And I would suspect that most of us here uh, who have um, adopted more of a spiritual perspective, uh, you know, have less of that, although you know, we probably still have some around possessions and materiality, but, but um, along more of the lines of uh, personal, social, uh, ways of being, again, family, friends, like, like mine was when we went through that meditation. And other kind of more uh, maybe subtler uh, internal attachments, uh, even as monastics uh, still working with Issues along the, the lines of some of the more of the more subtle worldly winds, praise and blame, um, reputation, uh, or trying to avoid ill repute, uh, the need for uh, validation from external sources, the need for recognition, uh, approval. These are some of the uh, underlying qualities that I think uh, many of us can still get caught up in. So we kind of start subtly gearing our lives around uh, this kind of clinging, even though it's not recognized as such when it's happening uh, until we maybe uh, don't get it, don't get that praise, don't get that support, um, or uh, don't get that recognition. You know, we, we try and maybe craft our lives around uh, doing things or producing things or being in certain ways that will 
um, be you know recognized and that we receive some sort of support from. So we need to kind of start really looking at that, I think, if we want to be, be truly free, truly independent of uh, the ups and downs of the world. So that when it does come time for the physical body to pass, then we can do so with a much cleaner, clearer freedom in the heart. So it's worth thinking about, it's worth contemplating about, what am I holding on to? What is it, where does my mind go when it's looking for security, support, a sense of refuge? Will I be able to take that with me into whatever comes next? And, and, and allowing oneself to experience the the unsatisfactoriness of that, to let it, let it uh, register in the heart, in the awareness. That's, uh, un- that's the first noble truth, under- the duty of the first noble truth to understand uh, the suffering and to realize the second noble truth of, of where it's coming from, what is being, where is the craving, what is being clung to. That's the and the letting go of that, the, the full release of that is the third noble truth. So really, you know, the path of practice, the Noble Eightfold Path, um, should be one that's um, engaged on and taken up with this whole attitude, uh, this whole sphere of um, keeping the perspective of release, of relinquishment uh, through it all. So, you know, we uh, develop all the various aspects of the path, the, the, the sila part, the uh, right, um, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Uh, of course, for the purpose of, of the non-harming and the peacefulness it brings, uh, or the the lack of regret and the goodness, the actual goodness that it brings into the world with um, uh, appropriate uh, right speech, right action, and how we manifest our our lives in the world, what we pick up to do uh, in our livelihoods. Um, And those all bring very good things into the world and can be cultivated for that. But to expand it beyond the, uh, the effects that it has on the world and to use, them, uh, to use that part of the, the path uh, for release uh, with the motivation of allowing it to be the foundation for letting go and release. The same with uh, the rest of the, uh, the Eightfold Path. Uh, that understanding, that right view, um, that uh, cause and effect, that how we live our lives, um, what we do uh, actually has results, and we can steer that towards that. Um, the other aspects of the path, the the, the right livelihood, mm-hmm. right speech, right action, uh, in a way. Um, that we know will have an effect, but also keeping that in mind, the final goal of release. 
and you know the right um, right intention, uh, developing kindness, loving kindness, and and uh, uh, lack of cruelty, uh, compassion, uh, simplicity, renunciation, not just uh, for the uh, immediate benefits uh, of those, but again keeping in that mind uh, the development of these qualities that will ultimately lead into the full release, letting go. And of course the, the aspects of right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi, samasamadhi, right collectedness, right composure of mind, uh, f- with that goal in mind. The Buddha talks about particularly the uh, development, development of the faculty of samadhi, samasamadhi, uh, the full development being with release as its object, bosaga in that case. Many w- different words that describe relinquishment or release, bosaga in that particular situation. So, like even with with our meditation and the development of uh, samadhi, it's actually clear that the Buddha wasn't directing us to developing a very narrow um, focus just to develop a, uh, an exclusion of the world around us uh, and limiting us to a particular um, narrow, small, pinpoint type object or uh, perception, um, but one that uh, is all-encompassing and that can lead to to release. So the qualities of sati sampajanya are so important in the development of the path. Uh, we use mindfulness to uh, develop a theme for how we want to contemplate our lives and, and what we want to uh, re- keep as the focus. Um, all in line with the Eightfold Path. And the quality of Sampajanya, clear understanding, clear knowledge, um, clear knowing, uh, direct, clear direct knowing uh, as, as our uh, focus so that we don't get um, too narrowly focused or, or too caught up in, um, too caught up in minutia. As we learn to to let go and learn to release um, uh, that which we're holding on to, and that's what, which we cling to, even those very subtle underlying tendencies uh, towards whatever it is that gives us a sense of uh, temporary refuge, we we work to recognize those and to to release those as well, uh, even the skillful ones. And as we can um, see uh, more subtly uh, all the ways that we hold to the various aspects of our world uh, and that we cling to them and and where we're looking for refuge, we see through that clarity of of mind, uh, that clarity of the heart, the the, the stilling, 
of um, all the activity uh, that usually distracts us, and we see what it is that where the mind goes out to grab hold of some uh, some thought, some emotion, some opinion, some view, uh, something that will get us uh, some sort of uh, recognition or happiness, uh, contentment, security. Um, We see uh, that more clearly and we see that it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. Do we want to keep doing that over and over and over again? You know, eventually with clarity, you see that it, you know, as, as one of the Buddhas, the Buddha was asked once to describe in just a, a phrase uh, the, the basic thrust of his teaching, and, and his, his answer was, nothing whatsoever should be clung to. So we start to really actually realize that and see that, uh, and everything that uh, arises that the mind is moved towards, or is averse to uh, on the on the opposite side, uh, we let go of that. We don't hold on to it so long. We see it more quickly, and we allow our hearts to release it, to not cling to it. If it, Ajahn Sumedho used to say, "If it if it moves, don't believe it." In that, uh, in in the chant that we often do, uh, the Dhammachaka Sutta, you know, the description of the um, ending of of dukkha uh, is related to uh, releasing ourselves from the clinging, the cause or the the craving. Um, and he uses uh, four four descriptors: chago, patinisako, muti, analayo. Chago, chago, the giving up, the giving over, the uh, handing over. Um, it's not just chaga in terms of, of generosity, uh, you know, of giving through generosity, although that's one of the uses of the word term, but the, of, the, of the term also. But chaga, um, fully giving over everything that it is that we're holding on to, fully passing on. Uh, what it is that we're clinging to. Patinisago is another one of the words uh, for relinquishment. So you can kind of see it as a almost like a gesture, uh, handing over chaga, uh, and then relinquishment is opening the hand, letting it letting it go, letting it move on, releasing it, and then muti is the actual experience uh, of release, uh, of freedom. So we experience that freedom uh, when, it's, when we give it over and relinquish it, let it go, open the grip. Uh, we experience freedom. And then analyo, non-attachment, so that eventually we can get to that point where we just don't even pick it up again. Uh, something comes through us, some old perceptual tendency uh, passes through the mind, and you know, as we perfect the path 
of non-clinging, we just don't pick it up. Analyo, non-attachment. I was thinking a lot of some of this was stimulated by the uh, by the service today, uh, and Daniel himself was a a great composer of of many songs, which I actually only heard just a little bit of every now and then. Mostly didn't experience that part of him. I mean, um, obviously, we don't have a lot of music happening here at the monastery, so when he came, that that wasn't part of the experience. But um, we got some good hits of that today, and uh, a couple of people um, who were close musician friends of his uh, recorded one of his songs, um, and I don't have a, a good memory for, of course, all the lyrics, but there was a, a refrain in there that was quite astounding, actually, and quite uh, powerful insight, and, and just in a very simple poetic, poetic way um, that... Um, made me kind of realize that he he was very deeply reflective. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure where he picked up this particular refrain from, whether it was from some of his other spiritual interests. He, he had a, quite an uh, eclectic palette of spiritual practices and yogic practices as well. Um, and obviously coming to the monastery a couple of times a week. You know, he, he really cherished the Buddhist perspective and, and made much use of it. But uh, one of the lines in this, in this song um, was, let's see if I can remember it now. Um, Peace as presence, love as the substance for being. And I really, uh, it moved me, it caught my ear uh, as quite a a beautiful way of um, considering two aspects of our our reality, of our experience, as the Buddha might describe it, I think. Um, And taking the second one first, love as the substance of being um, you know, being, becoming, we're still existing in the world, the, the thrust of samsara, the, the rolling on of uh, uh, the fabricated world, the created world, um, the world of being. But that to fully per- perfect ourselves in the, in the realm of existence, in the realm of samsara, we can develop love as the substance of our existence. Love as this substance of being. Because it's often taught that uh, loving kindness, metta, is perhaps one of the, the most powerful ways of, of existing. If we have to exist in some realm, uh, one of the most powerful and uh, appropriate places to dwell is, is in loving-kindness. Similarly, of course, to the other Brahma-viharas, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, and 
in my mind, the penultimate of, of, uh, with, of uh, equanimity, which can contain all of those lofty emotional states of, of love and compassion, joy, uh, but with uh, a strong dose of wisdom. But the Buddha talks mostly, really, in the, in the, in the suttas, um, in the teachings of that loving-kindness um, and how uh, useful it is to employ that as our sublime abiding. This is our sublime abiding. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So love as the substance for being. And then more on the, that's kind of on the imminent level, the, the uh, manifest level. And then on the more transcendent level of peace as, as, um, peace as presence, as he expressed it in that song. Uh, you know, if you think of the quality of presence as, as this kind of mm, kind of very strong uh, clarity of mind, uh, clearly comprehending, you know, the alertness uh, that comes with the full development of path, uh, the full presence. Uh, we're not developing a, a kind of peacefulness or a kind of concentration that uh, shuts out anything, uh, but is all-inclusive, uh, fully knowledgeable, fully aware, uh, at the same time that we're not holding, we're not clinging. We're experiencing everything that comes in through our senses, including our, our hearts and our minds. Uh, and we're seeing it with utmost alertness and clarity, presence. But then the full development of that with non-clinging is peace. It's the ultimate peace, the full peace of complete relinquishment, the peace of Nibbana, really. So peace as presence. So we, we want to, to, to die before we die. We want to let go of everything that's helping to create a definition of who we are, creating that sense of, of self, that uh, conceiving of I am, the death of the ego is our, is our task. It's, our, uh, it's what we, we're here to develop. Uh, and release from, uh, develop that understanding and release ourselves from the, the trap of I am, of clinging, of holding to any ways of becoming, of being. Nibbana is the cessation of becoming. So anyway, I'm not sure that there's much more to say, but just felt quite, uh, quite moved uh, and quite 
mm, yeah, moved, I guess, moved by uh, Daniel's clarity at times. He wasn't, you know, there were times when he certainly was struggling and didn't have his clear moments and, and uh, sometimes some self-doubt and questioning about how he was dealing with certain things in his life. But uh, he also was incredibly present and reflective. Uh, and um, I just found uh, that particular phrase uh, so moving uh, as, a, as a source of contemplation for myself. That, uh, peace is presence and uh, love as the substance um, for being. So just taking that, something to chew on, something to reflect on, bring into one's contemplation uh, as one uh, develops this path uh, towards freedom. So I'll leave that just for a short reflection this evening.